0: Father, thank you so much for uh, the goodness of your word, Father. How sweet it is to be in it! All the wonderful things that it tells us, all the encouragements and the and the pleading and the commands of uh, to love you, to love others, Lord, uh, to exemplify Christ in our lives, to exalt Him in all things. And Father, help us, Lord, as we work through this chapter in Deuteronomy. Uh, we pray, God, that you bless us. It's in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. So let me give you a rundown of what we're what we're looking at since since every once in a while I want to make sure we grasp it. The book of Deuteronomy is extremely unique in the Bible. Here's the reason why. In being tempted by Satan, it's the only book that Jesus quotes. It's what he pulls from to use as truth to counteract lies that Satan is trying to sell him. So it's an extremely important book for us to know. Jesus held it in the highest regard. In fact, I think out of all the books that he speaks about in the New Testament, uh, it is the third most mentioned book behind Exodus and Genesis, I think it is. So it's very high up there on the list. Another thing is, is that it's set up in a very unique fashion. It's set up in what is known commonly as a suzerain vassal treaty. And what that is, is a suzerain is a high king Vassals are lesser kings or lower kings. Still kings, but lesser kings. And the idea is this. As the high king, if you will bow down to me, worship me, give to me of the work of your hands, I will protect and bless you, the lesser kings, and set you up for security, safety, and success in exchange. Now we know this commonly is what would be called as the Sinaitic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the giving of the law some people just for for clarification call it the if then covenant if i will do this then yahweh will bless me kind of things it's important why do new testament christians go through the old testament at all here's the reason why is because it provides encouragement and endurance is the purpose we see real life historical events laid out to where god worked with them and we see his word prevailing at all costs Now, what we've been looking at has been a long section called the historical prologue. And what happens is, is Moses has stopped on the east side of the Jordan. They have not crossed over yet. And if you remember, he doesn't get to cross over because of his disobedience of God's word. And so what he's doing is, is these are his final thoughts of how he is commanding the people about what the future is going to look like. And to do so, to get them to cross the river, He has got to remind them of all that Yahweh has done and all that Yahweh has provided to get them to this point. Now, why does he have to remind them and psych them up and bring to their minds all that God has done for this moment? Does anybody know why? What do you think? Well, they're going to have to go across and they're going to have to be involved in warfare, but they've already done that with Sihon. And Og, Og, the king of Bashan, they've already done that. They've already seen God provide for them. But why is it that he's having to give them this big pep talk before he bows out and passes away and then Joshua's going to lead them across? Why? Because they're human? Short memories. Explain. Okay, they don't remember their past. What particularly about their past would be the reason for bringing this up? Did you just say faith? Oh, lack of faith. I thought you guys started throwing out Sunday school answers. Faith, Bible, Jesus. Um, The lack of faith, yes. But what is it? It's the next generation. The first generation, when they had the opportunity to cross over, take the land, and begin the inheritance process, what did they do? They freaked out. They rebelled against Moses, Aaron, and God. In fact, called for their deaths and to turn around and to go back into the slavery that he rescued them from, and God judged them for their disobedience. So notice, the whole point of this pep rally talk, everybody get your minds right, is don't make the same mistake your fathers made. Very, very important stuff. So, we are going to start with verse 23. And we are going to read on until verse 31, just because that's what we covered last time, and just to get a running start. And real quick, Ron, I have to ask, is A&W open? (laughs) Praise Jesus. I went to go pick up Beth and Nathaniel yesterday in Champaign, and I went out that direction. And I went by, and I was like, all the chairs are out, you know, and then I just started salivating across the glass. It was amazing. So praise God, everybody, just so you know, A&W is open, go and get a big frosty root beer and go for it. Everybody just got saved. That's good. All right. Verse 23. By the way, this is an amazing pulpit. I can just stack all my books and just, go I'm just kidding. So. 23, so watch yourselves. Remember, this is a warning, and it's also the end of an inclusio that's attached to verse 15, same chapter. Watch yourselves, that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For Yahweh your Elohim is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land, and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything and do that which is evil in the sight of Yahweh your Elohim so as to provoke Him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Now pause for a second. Did anybody look up rib pattern on the internet? Anybody Google that rib pattern? R-I-B pattern as far as laws that were given? Okay. Anytime that you look, okay, number one, you're all failures, and you need the blood of Christ, okay? Not doing your homework. Um, and it's important to look up, and here's the reason why, is because you will often see things like, I swear by heaven and earth. Uh, I, I, I beseech you by heaven and earth, or it will call witnesses into play. Anytime that you see that I, that I swear by heaven and earth, or what does it say here? Uh, uh, I call heaven and earth to witness against you at least two witnesses need to be in play when you see that it's because there is a profound legal declaration this is a legal declaration that moses is making here okay i am asking for heaven and earth to swear to this to attest to this fact that if you make these idols here is what is going to happen to you and so it's like it's almost like you're bringing the law in to solidify the guarantee that destruction will happen for the situation or whatever the context is so how we would read it i call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land you'll be kicked out of the land people are going to die the whole nine yards where you are going over the jordan to possess it remember to inherit it is the idea you shall not live long in it but will be utterly destroyed now it's interesting because this word is not what we saw before as far as destruction was concerned. This idea of being utterly destroyed actually means that you will be made useless. You will be made profitless or worthless. Let me give you a good idea or an example of that mindset. If you were here for the James study that we did, right? What good is it, my brothers, if one of you says you have faith and another one have works, or if you had faith with no works, is that any good? Can that faith save you? And of course, that salvation is not talking about save you from going to hell or, or heaven when you die or any of that stuff. It has nothing to do with that type of salvation. The idea there is found in the keyword, what good is it, my brothers? What profit is it? Of what benefit are you in the situation of the local church if you say you have faith but you don't have works? That can't deliver you or that can't rescue you from a worthless life. You're just sitting here talking about your faith, but you're not doing jack diddly in order to support it. Therefore, you're not a benefit or a profit or, or, or a usefulness. Well, notice here, if you decide that you're going to capitulate and make idols for yourself, God is going to disperse you from the land and you will be useless to Him. Now, this is very interesting because of 1948 whenever Israel came back into the land, right? And they're in the land is unbelief. But what was God really doing with the Jews while they were dispersed throughout the nations? Were they not useless at that point? Yeah. There wasn't really anything profound going on with them whatsoever. They're just scattered everywhere, no place to call their home, no national place of worship, not really a people. Very interesting to see that this is this is laying it all out just like it happened. So notice he says verse 27. Yahweh will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number. Notice there's always a remnant. Utterly destroyed does not mean exterminate and wipe out. That's not the idea. It's not a harum. No, it's not harum. It's not what it is. Harum is what was pronounced for the Israelites to come in and to bring upon the Canaanites and the Gergeshites and the Hivites and the Hittites and all those people because they had so sinned and defiled the land in such a way as to where they were beyond saving. Now that's very interesting to think about. They were already brought to the point where Yahweh put a condemnation sentence upon them and Israel would act as his disciplinary tools in that. So no, it's not harem. The actual Greek word here is hisamid, is what it is. And it can mean to exterminate or to destroy, but it also means to make something useless. Of, of no use or no value or no benefit or profit anymore is the idea. Uh, it says here, Good. thank you for bringing that up though, yeah that's good. Notice, you'll be left few in number among the nations where Yahweh drives you. There, and here's the irony of the whole situation, among the nations, you will serve God's, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Um, Let's pause for a second and let's just focus on that. Sometimes we have a tendency to, to take Hollywood and project it on the Bible and think that demons are just kind of... I mean, if you've seen the exodus and heads spin around, that's what you think the extent of demon activity is. Understand, it's not. Satan is called a master deceiver. He's a master at it. There's no one better. I think that's important to think about because when we look around at our world when we look around at how the earth is running when we look around at how America is structured or whatever the stuff is going on it's insane how many people know anything about the bill that, that President Trump just signed mm-hmm. I think it was yesterday or Friday it might be it was the one that, that still gives all this funding to Planned Parenthood have you seen this he, he's, he signed off on a bill that still provides all kinds of funding for Planned Parenthood. $585 million a year goes to Planned Parenthood. Our country is funding death organizations. 400 babies a month. And it's a racist organization that seeks out minorities to exterminate so that the white race will be dominant. It's like Hitler. We are funding modern day Hitler by our tax dollars. Does everybody see how Satan's a master deceiver? It's Moloch, exactly. Exactly it is. Start getting me on a tangent, start talking about Bohemian Grove and all that crazy stuff. But yeah, that stuff's real. And all these people are in cahoots. Understand, all of this stuff going is just a demonically run WWF is what it is. It's a lot of show. It's a lot of it's a lot of acting. It's a lot of garbage. It's a lot of charlatans is what it is. People in there that are just messing it all up and they're all doing it for Satan. It's no surprise when you go through the Bible and we have to take the Bible as the truth of God's word, that it means what it says and it is sufficient to tell us all about life, not just salvation things. That when you're talking about the king of this place and the king of Persia and the king of those are all demons running the show behind all that stuff. We cannot afford to be duped by all this junk. If anything, we should be driven to more prayer and we should have our noses more buried in this so that we can be more discerning about the times that we live in. Because so far, this has not been proven wrong. It's the only thing that is sustained. Laverne. What's that? Is the Catholic Church demonically run? Yes. Yes without a shadow of a doubt but at the same token so are a lot of evangelical churches yes and here's the sad thing about it is is the ones that are held most accountable are the people who are in charge all that stuff Uh, there are some people that go to Catholic churches because their parents were Catholic and here's the thing the Catholic Church discourages the people in the church from reading the Bible that should automatically be an alarm for you automatically the Catholic Church adds that there are all kinds of works that you must do, not to just be saved, but stay saved. Well, technically, I would say a relationship with with Jesus is dangerous too, because he'll end up flipping your life upside down. But I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. But the whole reason why he wears that pointy hat's because he's really a conehead. We all know that, right? I'm just kidding. It's a joke. But um, boom. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Are Catholics good people? I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. We, as evangelical Bible-believing Christians, who really say, yeah, this is truth, and I seek to worship the Lord according to His Word and base my life off it, we should be ashamed at how the Catholics show us up in pro-life stuff. They show us up. They care more about babies being killed than we do. And that's a shame. So, are they able to do good things? Yeah. Should they be standing up for life? Yeah. Are they doctrinally deceived? Yeah. They are doctrinally deceived. And see, that's where it gets kind of weird. And a statement like this sounds kind of weird. You can fight pro life all that you want, but if you don't know that Jesus is your Savior and that He's the only way to heaven, you're still going to hell. Lost people can still do moral things, they can still recognize a right and wrong. We still all have a conscience that testifies. To the law of god that's been written on our hearts all of us have that romans 2 is very clear about that but yeah it's deception but i'll tell you this as well this might step on some toes uh, the christian church is also heavily deceived if you have not been baptized you are not saved that's a work that is a twisting of scripture that's why you need a hermeneutics class in order to sit down and talk with those people and go wait a second man that's not what the passage says. Let me give you a primary example. Let's just just cut for just a second and look at a primary example. Everybody turn to Acts 2. And let me show you this because this is the famous argument that they love to use in a situation. But notice, it's just from simply observing the text that we will find that's not what it's talking about. Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches this rousing service at Pentecost, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit has been blessed upon the apostles. speaking in authentic languages of the people who have migrated there for the festival from other lands and in speaking in those other tongues those people are recognizing the speech and say they're speaking the oracles of God but they're speaking in I'm a Jew from China or whatever that is right so Acts chapter 2 they're hearing these things Peter preaches this sermon he lays it all out for them and here's the reaction chapter 2 verse 37 look at it real clearly Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Stop. See, it says it right there. You got to be baptized to be saved. Stop for a second. Is that what the text says? It's not. In fact, we could get on some debatable ground here, but notice that they also call for repentance. Now go ahead and get the stake all fired up for me, but repentance is never mentioned as a requirement to go to heaven when you die. In fact, John Calvin even said, how can someone who's lost repent? How could you call on somebody that doesn't have the Holy Spirit to repent? That's insane. And I don't even agree with John Calvin. He's right on that. Is that what this says? Because you talk to somebody from the Christian church, they'll take you you here and they'll say, see, the the reason why we know that you've got to be baptized to be saved is because Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized. What are we missing here? Do we know? Well, he says, brothers. What about verse 37? They heard and were cut to the heart. Now, is that not consistent with everything else we see in the Bible? Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. They heard the gospel and their hearts were convicted. That's what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is assurance and conviction, and both of them are the same word. So how are they responding now after this? If verse 37 is when they heard the word and were convicted and believed at that moment, they're all responding as Christians. Right? They're already saved people. They're already justified. Justification just took place in half of verse 37. Now 38 is all about sanctification. Here's what it is. Now you need to repent. Look at some of the junk that's going on in your life. Turn away from it. That movie causes you to sin, get rid of it. You can't stop looking at porn on your phone, take a sledgehammer to it. You don't need to talk to people that bad. I can't tell you how many men I've counseled. Well, I'm just stumbling with porn, I'm stumbling. No, you're not stumbling with porn, you're sinning by looking at other women's naked bodies besides your wife and you're committing adultery against her, which is a divorceable offense in God's eyes, the only one that he permits. That's what you're doing. Now stop this throw your computer off of your balcony, smash it up like Kirk Cameron did in Fireproof, and bring me your power cord. Well, man, I need it in order to check my bank account. No, you need it to look at boobies. That's what it is, and that's what you shouldn't be doing. That's the harsh reality of sin. And we reason through that garbage, and it keeps us away from Jesus. Dangerous stuff, man. Christians like playing with fire too much. Too much. And am I all about the free grace of God and salvation? Absolutely. But he never says, get saved and stay stuck. He never says that. He says, grow. You were saved by faith, walk by faith. I've given you everything you need to do it. Well, I'm just going to click my mouse a couple more. Dangerous. we are going to say, Roxanne? Okay, praise God. Let's move on. <laughs> sure okay anyway but that's an example it's by simply examining the text and say wait a second let's see what's really going on here do you realize that you've just overthrown an entire denomination of christians or entire denomination of people just by one verse that's how easy it is to get into error because man-made philosophies and religions are always saying, and religion is, you have to do this to be saved. And this is what makes the Gospel so profound. Jesus did it all for you. Simply believe the work He provides. That's it. It's real clear. It's real clear. But I tell you this, you turn on your preachers, you listen to them, you're not going to hear it. I'll never forget one day, in the summer, I go running with Art. Obviously, it hasn't been summer recently, right? But in the summers, I go running with Art down on the levee. And he texted me one day. He said, man, I was just driving in my car. Hopefully, he wasn't text me, he was driving. But he said, I was just driving in my car, and I heard John MacArthur going off about how if you don't submit your life, be willing to give up all, turn away from all your sins, and do all these things, you can't really be saved. I said, he lied to you somebody who's been preaching the Word for 40 years at the same place, who is highly revered by all of these pastors that are coming out, and I'll be honest with you, I answered my call to ministry by listening to John MacArthur preach. When he teaches on things like the Christian life and the family, praise God for it. When he steps into salvation, beware. Beware. Because it's dangerous stuff. Because he corrupts the Gospel. It's crazy dangerous stuff. And here's the amazing thing. He's been interviewed about it. He hadn't always believed that. He hadn't always believed that. He took a sabbatical in 1979 and all he studied was the Gospels and the Puritans. Scary stuff. If you've read any of the Puritans, they preached for 50 years and when they were on their deathbeds, they weren't for sure they were going to heaven. How do you study the Gospels and miss the word eternal life? It's insane. So there's all kinds of crazy things like that. That's kind of the stuff we're going to be talking about in the hermeneutics class. So anyway... Back to Deuteronomy. I told you we're going to finish 4, and I will keep you here as long as I have to to finish this chapter. So here we go. Back to 4. We're going to need more candy. I've got a little bit more chocolate up here and then some wax-tasting weirdness. So if you guys want Twizzlers and stuff like that. Uh, let's see here. So verse uh, verse 30. It's important that we get this. Chapter 4, Deuteronomy, verse 30. When you are in distress in in the other lands, worshiping idols, the irony of the whole thing. I worshiped idols. I got kicked out of the land. Now I'm someplace it's not my home, and I'm worshiping idols there. That's how crazy it is. Verse 30. When you are in distress, and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, notice the timing there, you will return to Yahweh your Elohim, and here it is, church, listen to his voice everybody remember the audible event from exodus chapter 20 of the giving of the law moses was not the one who first gave the law yahweh did audibly from the mountain so the people could hear so that they would fear his name and it would serve to discipline them we're going to see that in just a second so notice instead of all these images you came back to his voice Remember when God spoke to you, you didn't see any form or anything so that you can't try to replicate it by the futility of your hands and the elements that are created. No, no, no. Come back to His Word. Come back to His voice. Don't worry about idols. Listen to His Word. Does everybody see how important it is that in Deuteronomy it is exalting the Word of God as the central means of what our minds, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, and our hearts are to be consumed with? Does everybody see that? Yes? Who's asleep? Okay, making sure. Alright, so notice verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 31. For the Lord, Yahweh your Elohim, is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers which He swore to them. Indeed, everybody followed this train of thought. Ask now concerning concerning the former days which were before you, since the day that God created man on earth. So notice, that's genesis right everybody see that he brings up earth remember earlier we talked about to swear by heaven and earth that heaven and earth would be a witness against you notice he brings up earth ever since the beginning of the creation of that first witness and notice what he says after that and inquire from one end of the what heavens there's your second witness to the other Has anything been done like this great thing or has anything been heard like it? Has anything as great occurred on the created earth with any group of people like Yahweh audibly speaking to Israel? Is anything like that? I'm asking you. Nothing has happened. So you take your pen and you write no, capital N-O, exclamation point after that. No, nothing else has happened like that. Nothing else has happened. From the beginning of creation to how beautiful and glorious the heavens are, the most profound, extraordinary, amazing thing to ever occur was the voice of Yahweh speaking to the people. Look at verse 33. Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of fire as you have heard it and survived? No. Thank you, Hannah. Only person that answers no nothing like that's ever happened no other god appeared to any other people and said any kind of word and they were like yeah that's my god talking to me no other god has revealed themselves like that now the main reason is is because when idols are described they can't hear they can't speak they can't respond and they need the person serving them to do everything for them serving them is really giving them things that they are lacking to make the process functional does everybody see how? Silly that is, to put something else where Yahweh is actually a personal living being who transcends all of time and history. It says here, verse 34, Or has a God, notice that little g, and that would be a demon essentially, tried to go to make for himself a nation from within another nation by trials and signs and wonders and by war and by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors as Yahweh your Elohim did for you in Egypt before your eyes. No, thank you Mary, exactly. No, that's never happened. And notice there are six things mentioned. Great terrors, an outstretched arm, seeing the mighty hand of God, the power and the force that he used to happen this. And it wasn't just that a that a demon had put together a nation. No, that's real easy because we know uh, from reading in the Psalms, Demons are over nations. It's the fact that a nation was captive by another and Yahweh set them free out of a more powerful nation. Egypt was profoundly more powerful than, than, than the Israelites ever were. They had been beaten down. They may have been more in number because it was a ton of Jews. It was a lot of them. Some people believe even to an excess of 3 million if you count all the women and children that were involved in this. I mean, it was a ton of people. But notice they were built, beat down in spirit. They had that slavery mentality of they're just trying to make it. They're just trying to survive and not thrive. No, Yahweh set them free from the surviving and put them in a method of thriving. That's the big difference that He does there. So notice verse 35. To you, it was shown. Why? That you may know that Yahweh, He is Elohim. There is no other besides Him. Does everybody remember when we were walking through the gods of Egypt and how Yahweh is overthrowing every one of them by the plagues that he's sending. And remember, something that was constantly said, that the people may know that I am Yahweh. That you would know that you have been sent by me. Those types of things. Notice, it is a revelation of himself. All of these things happen because Yahweh wants to be known. So he says here, Uh, that you might know Yahweh, He is Elohim. There is no other besides Him. Verse 36, out of the heavens He lets you hear His voice to, interesting, to discipline you. To discipline you. Now stop for a second and let's compare Scripture with Scripture. Put your finger here. Think about the idea. You heard Yahweh's voice so that you would be disciplined. Turn back to Exodus 20. Look at verse 20. Look at the actual event that is given the reason why it transpired and it took place. Some of you have felt a little uneasy about that I'm saying, no, we should fear God. We should fear God. You should fear God like you feared your dad lighting up your backside for doing something wrong. Right? Going out, cutting the switch, getting the back of the legs. You should fear Him like that. It's not just a... Oh, holy reverence kind of thing. Man, we really make a Hallmark Care Bear kind of caricature out of God when we do that. No. Watch, compare Scripture with Scripture. Watch this. Remember, you heard His voice that it might discipline you, okay? Go back to chapter 20, verse 20 of Exodus. Moses said to the people, now notice this, do not be afraid, okay? Remember? Their response was, Moses, from now on, you speak to us. If God ever speaks to us again, we'll die. I'm afraid my heart will stop if he opens his mouth kind of thing, okay? Pretty serious occasion. But notice, do not be afraid for, here's the reason. God has come in order to what? Test you. Okay, put it together. Test. Discipline. Okay, now watch this. And in order that the fear of him may remain with you. Why? So that you may not sin. Put it together. Discipline. It's a test that the fear of God... Notice, it's not that God would scare you. It's not like He's the boogeyman behind a closet door and when you open it up, He's... It's not like that. It's that the fear would remain with you to keep you from sinning. Why is that? Because of the grand picture that Yahweh is trying to paint with the nation of Israel, talking about having holy and righteous standards and having a God who personally meets and personally intervenes whenever the people cry out to him. He gets involved in his people and he protects and loves his children. If you bring sin into that picture, you've corrupted what God is trying to paint. Does everybody see that? So notice, these things have been done as a precautionary for you, it's to discipline you. Discipline isn't always bend over, I'm going to spank your bottom. Discipline isn't always you've done something wrong, therefore I'm reacting with discipline. That's not always discipline. Discipline can be something as simple as you saying, you know what, instead of watching Oprah today, I really need to sit down with the Word of God. That's a discipline. That's you taking a time out from everything else that's trying to distract your attention and setting aside time for the Word of God. It costs you something. It costs you Oprah. But you gain Jesus. Sounds like a good trade, doesn't it? You see what I'm saying though? A discipline doesn't just have to be a response to ill will or action or sin or something like that. No, 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 no. It's to discipline you, to train you is really what it is, isn't it? Train a child in the way they should go and when they're older, they won't depart from it. Eli, know that verse, brother. Two years old, light up that fanny if you need to. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Because it's one of the greatest things of love you could ever do for somebody. Stop doing stupid things. There's a time for that. But there's also setting up a structure in which to train them. To train them. Not just retribution for bad things done, but to set them in a path that marks them as distinct and different. Very important stuff. So now, let's finish this up. This will be real interesting. Everybody go back to Deuteronomy 4. We're not going to finish this. <sighs> Let me ask you this. Would you guys read 41 through 49 on your own? Because after that, Moses is done speaking. It's where they set aside sanctuary cities. And you can actually plot out on a map where those cities are found. It's stuff that we've looked at before. But it's for people that commit manslaughter. They accidentally killed somebody. There's, there's grace for that. So let's finish up this main text though so notice it's to discipline them verse 36 of chapter 4 out of the heavens he lets you hear his voice to discipline you notice fear discipline that's what we're talking about type of stuff and on earth he lets you see his great fire and you heard his words from the midst of the fire now pause for a second everybody see the two witnesses again out of the heavens he lets you hear his voice on earth he lets you see this. Does everybody see why heaven and earth are good witnesses? They are the locations in which these things took place. They can testify. Does everybody realize that inanimate objects testify in heaven? Does everybody realize that? Isn't it, don't, do you remember whenever it talked about the blood of Abel crying out from the ground? The blood of Abel testifies against you. The blood of the prophets. You who slay the prophets. Why is that? Because their blood testifies and holds their killers guilty very interesting to see the blood testifies somebody needs to write a book on blood throughout the scripture and just document the significance of it through i don't know if anybody has it if you find one let me know it's a worthy subject to take up and to really look at there's so many facets to it in it is life it's able to testify after being spilt on the ground interesting stuff nobody gets away with anything all of it will be brought to account whether it's blood or heaven or earth that needs to witness against us in doing that it happens so now moving on it says here verse 37 notice he let you see these things he let you hear these things verse 37 because he loved your fathers therefore he chose their descendants after them and he personally everybody see that word personally man good good word he personally brought you out from egypt by his great power driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is today. In other words, Yahweh fights and He leads and He blesses and He grants that grace to them. Notice it. So He says here, verse 39, here's another no. Know therefore today and take it to your what? Heart. This is important because this is really what Deuteronomy is about, right? Let's do this. Uh, let's see here. Dave, stand up. Dave stood up. Dave, sit down. Did Dave really need to be convinced in his heart to stand up or sit down? No, it was just kind of a command that was given, and he just did whatever he's told, right? Pretty nah, right? Wouldn't it be easy to take the parameters that God's given in the law and just be like, okay, sacrifice this here and put this here and uh, blood here, right? Incense here, smoke here. Thank you, God. Heartless, isn't it? But notice, the idea here in Deuteronomy is to get the law driven down into the heart. That's the difference. That way it doesn't become religion and ritual. It becomes here. In fact, isn't that the problem later on with Israel when you read some of the major and minor prophets? You worship me with your lips, but your hearts are filled far from me isn't that the whole point i don't take any pleasure in bulls and goats don't ever bring that junk in here ever again i want a broken and contrite heart everybody see that everything that he's commanding here was meant to elicit a reaction that had deep roots of conviction and that's the idea here know therefore today and take it to your heart that yahweh he is elohim In heaven, there's your witness. Above and on the earth, there's your other witness. Below, there is no other. Now notice, if you look at verse 35 and you look at verse 39, what do you have? Everybody see it? It's an inclusio. Everybody see it? Everybody see that? Yahweh, He is God. He is Elohim. Go down to 39. Yahweh, He is Elohim. So here's what you have. Verse 35, Yahweh is God. There is no other. Verse 2 talks about the great and varied revelations that were given to them. I'm sorry, verse 2. Verse 36 talks about the great varied revelations that were given to them. Verse 37 talks about how he loved the fathers, he chose the descendants, and he personally is involved with them. Then working its way out here. This, I, I don't know that this could be considered a, uh, um, a chiasm. Uh, maybe, maybe not a chiasm. I don't remember how you say it. Uh, verse 38 he overcame greater nations and gave the land to them as an inheritance. And then verse 39, he, Yahweh is God. There's none like Him. Does everybody see how that works? You've got that little uh, uh, inclusio right there. I, I think when I worked through it initially, I didn't see that the chiasm lined up unless it could be considered opposites. But if it is a chiasm, then the main focus is He loved your fathers and He chose your descendants and He's personally involved. So you can see where that would work, right? That's the main point trying to get out. Who's confused when I say chiasm? Everybody get that? The text works its way into a main significant point and then works its way back out. We, we dealt with, okay, good. So that would be an idea there that you could see. Verse 40. So you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I'm giving you today. Why? Number one, that it may go well with you. And number two, with your children after you. Notice it's got ramifications in generations. Uh, and verse, or number three, that you may live long in the land. Which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you for all time. Who owns the land? God. Who'd he give it to? Good. Who'd he give it to? The Jews for all time. Israel for all time. Palestinian state? Not according to God. It's God's land. He gave it to the Jews, it's theirs. Get away from it. It's theirs. It's theirs. theirs for all time it never goes away see here's why this is important and real quick verse 40 wraps up the historical prologue we're done with the first major section of deuteronomy Then verses 42, I think it is through 49, the rest of the chapter, talk about sanctuary series and kind of clear up some things geographically that are going on. And then in chapter 5, we're going to start the general stipulations that are given in a suzerain vassal treaty. But before we even let our minds go there, and let's wrap up here. I'm keeping you guys just a little bit, but let's think about this. In fact, let's do this. Everybody turn to Daniel 7. Let me share this with you. This will help. Daniel chapter 7. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. If you want to know, uh, well, let me give you this. Any, Any good writer needs to start with a thesis statement or a purpose statement for why they're writing, right? Otherwise, you end up with weird stuff. You don't even know. It doesn't make any sense. You've got to have some central theme that you're trying to accomplish. Chapter 7 of Daniel, verses 13 and 14, is God's purpose statement for the entirety of the Bible, the entirety of Scripture. He tells you what He's trying to accomplish right here, and I'm going to map it out for you briefly and show you so that it can get your mind jogging in that direction. But look at verse 13 of chapter 7 of Daniel. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus is. And he came up to the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? God is. Exactly. Since none of you got up here to take this chocolate, I'm taking it. I'm hungry. And he was presented before him. Notice, Jesus puts himself in a submissive posture before Yahweh God. Verse 14. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now, if you have something different than dominion, glory, and a kingdom, you're probably reading out of the NIV, and I encourage you to turn that in and take an NASB out of one of the Sunday school rooms, okay? <laughs> let's, let's start to slowly move away from the NIV translation. Some of you talked to me about that. It's just, it's just not a very good translation. It's not. Uh, it, could, it could really mess up some things. So notice, and, and understand this, when I first became a Christian, I wore my NIV out. Okay. It serves His purpose, praise God. But if we have the option to use a better translation, let's do that. It says here that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Can you bring 14 up there, Mitch? Verse 14. Next one. There we go. God's whole design for the Scriptures is His kingdom would reign and rule with the rightful King on the throne over all of creation. That's That's the goal. Salvation is not the goal of Scripture. It's not God's main goal. Salvation is a means to the end of the kingdom. I think that's important. But too often we read the Scriptures through the lens of salvation is all that God's after all the time. You miss a lot when you do that. Notice that God's goal here is that Jesus comes and presents Himself and the idea is that He is then given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. The people, everyone, nations being Gentiles, men of every language, including the Jews will serve Him. Dominion is always. Kingdom is forever. God's goal in history is to bring all things subservient to Jesus Christ as He reigns as King. Created Adam and Eve. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. It's the right to rule. Satan comes in and leads them to sin, and they sin. Understand, we're not going to be Adam and Eve are the victim here. It's really Satan's fault. No, Satan's a tempter, but he didn't make them sin. Nobody had them reach up and grab the fruit to eat it. But notice, they sin, and in doing so, they forfeit the right to rule. In doing so, there is now a long-form picture of what God is trying to accomplish all throughout the Bible. And that is that Jesus Christ would not just purchase the possibility for people to be brought back into right relationship with Him, but by continued fellowship, spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, confession of sin, offering yourself to walk by faith and good works, all those things, you would then become a partaker of the kingdom. And when Jesus Christ comes back to rule, those who are faithful will be given the allotment to rule alongside him as his viceroys, as his co-regents. In doing that, when we see this idea here of what God is trying to accomplish with israel it is always pushing for their dominance in the earthly realm one of the witnesses and that is where their accomplishment of a kingdom will be in fact whenever you see that the jews are asking jesus uh acts chapter one at this time are you going to bring the kingdom back in he said it's not for you to know the times and places what are they referring to they're referring to the time of david And when the king was at its heyday, it was at the pinnacle. It was everything that was all about. Israel is reigning because our God reigns kind of thing. And then through sin, it was forfeited again. That whole idea. With believers in Christ, our idea is having the kingdom, is being the idea of the kingdom of the heavens. It's a heavenly reign. See, this is why there's a difference between Israel and the church. Israel and the church. There's a distinction in Scripture. The inheritance that Israel gets is a promised inheritance for all time, earthly. It's a plot of real estate that God owns and He gives it freely to them. For us Christians, it's the message of the kingdom of the heavens. It's very important to understand. So what is God's grand design in history? He will have dominion. It will be everlasting. He will set up a kingdom. It will be everlasting. And for the Jews, they will inherit that land And the twelve apostles will sit on twelve thrones and they will judge the tribes of Israel at that time. For the Christian, for the one who believes and is part of the church, the distinction of Jew and Gentile is gone. And in doing so, we will seek to be inheritors of the kingdom of heaven. Any thoughts about that before we wrap up? Praise the Lord, let's pray. God, thank You so much that You are a triumphant God whose victory is certain is given to us in Your infallible and inerrant Word. And thank You, God, that we even see walking through with Israel as they are receiving a reiteration of the law from Moses that Your promises are good, that You are a compassionate God, that You are sure that You love Your kids. Thank You, God, for loving us and thank You, God, for demonstrating that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us What a wonderful, wonderful sacrifice. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much.